0: be the second lesson in the book of Malachi. We're not going to go too far in it tonight. There's a lot of information, a lot of things contained in the book of Malachi, a lot of things that's just real hard to go through, and I don't want to go through them so fast. One of the things that I find, and I know Brother David will tell you that he's probably found this same thing, is when you come across controversial statements, and you're reading and you're trying to do some study on it, and you go to commentaries, it's surprising how many uh, people that write these commentaries are cowards. They they will just skip over it. They'll uh, make a mention about it and they'll move on. They don't want to really talk about it a whole lot because sometimes some of these issues are very difficult. It's hard to really pin it down because we've got two issues. One of the things that we're going to talk about tonight is the passage of Scripture where it talks about, you know, I've hated Esau. And what does this do? What does it make you think when you hear that? How does that, well, how does that come about? against, or how does it make you think about the way you feel about God, His character, being merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and in truth, but yet you hear a statement like that, not only here, but also in Romans chapter 9. And so when I read something like that, really, I want to stop and I want to look into it and see, and there's a lot of different opinions about it, a lot of different things said about it, but it's kind of, um, how many's ever heard of the old terminology, the hoop dress theology? Anybody remember the old hoop dress? Uh, what our pastors in the uh, uh, seminary used to call it a hoop dress theology. It covers everything but touches nothing. And uh, we don't really want to do that. We want to touch some issues and just kind of look at it and really find out what the Word of God says. If it's important enough to be in the Word of God, then don't we think it's important enough for us to understand what it means and to try to learn what it is? So this is the final book of the Old Testament. It's the final book of the minor prophets that we're going to be into. Uh, We see men is going to get hit hard and fast by Malachi. He's going to uh, preach some stuff. It's going to have some tough subjects that's going to be very close to their heart, very close to the way that they think and uh, some of the sins that they've been uh, uh, committing. And it's easy to speak very harsh to people. But one of the things I think that we can see here with Malachi that he starts out with a very kind tone. He starts out by trying to affirm that God does love them, that he loves them with this everlasting love. So let's just go ahead and read the first six verses or so. And it says, "...the burning of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord?" Yet I loved Jacob, and hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom said, We are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate place. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, They shall build, but I will throw down, and they shall call them the borders of the wickedness, and thy people against of uh, and thy, and the, the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever, and your eyes shall see, and ye shall say, the Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel, a son honoreth his father, and a servant his master, Master, if then I be a father, where is mine honor, and if I be a master, where is my fear? saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that des- uh, despise my name, and ye say, wherein have we despised? Thy name. I actually meant to stop at verse 5 verse so that we're, we were going to go to, and we're going to touch on that a little bit tonight. But I just want to point out that the opening statement here that he makes is about the love of God. You know, if we have not love, what do we have? You know, we could go at the world with condemnation. We could go at the world preaching judgment we could go pointing out sin and and like i said that's a very easy thing to do but we should be a people of love now do we love the sin no no, we don't love the sin that people commit, but at the same time, we should try to display a love toward people. We should have a burden toward people and see people in the same way that God sees people, as people who need salvation. I preached this weekend at Paul on Mars Hill, and as Paul went to Mars Hill, and he was preaching in Acts chapter 17, that he saw the people there, that they were touched by idols, that they were affected in their lives, were touched, and he was moved and he preached to them. How many times was jesus moved with compassion and preached to the crowd or ministered to them in some way you know we should be driven by our love and you know so the question here could have very easily come up does god really love us from israel In, in fact if you remember last week in the introduction to malachi we talked about him preaching or teaching with this rhetorical style of teaching that he would ask questions that really have their own answer, but it would push you to a place to where you would give that logical answer, and it would it would show you the foully in your in your own logic. He was trying to point that out. So the question that he starts out here is, does God really love us? Is God really defined as love? Can we truly say that, or do we need to change the way we feel about that? I mean, it's easy to say that, but is there evidence to support that? You know, we could say that we love our wife or our husband. We could say that we love our kids or our parents. But yet, saying it is one thing. Showing it and proving it is something completely different. So uh, there's two things here to point out uh, even before we get to that. First of all, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. First is Malachi uh, is delivering God's message. This is the word of the Lord. This is not Malachi's message. It's not his philosophy. It's not his desires or his feelings. Now, he may agree with some of it. He may have a heart towards some of it. But at the end of the day, it's the message of God. You know, so whenever he touches on some of these subjects that he's going to touch on, he is speaking as an oracle of God. He is not speaking from his own desire. He's speaking what God has said. You know, it's one thing for us to say something, but something completely different For God to say it. And this is where this message is coming from. And as a minister unto God, all of us, every one of us in this room, sometimes we need to encourage ourselves and remind ourselves, it's not my message. People can be offended at it, people can get upset with it, but it's not my message. There's actually areas in the Bible that well, just to be blunt about it, I don't care for all that much. Right? I mean, isn't that the nature of, of humankind, that there's things that God desires for us that our flesh doesn't want? I want to want the things of God. I want my life to line up with his words, but at the same time, I am sinful flesh like everybody else in here, and a man, and we have desires, and we have needs, we have wants, and sometimes they overrule our emotions, they overrule our way of thinking, and we we fall into that. And and I, I hate it when that happens, but yet I still have this flesh wrapping my body. So there's things in the Bible that, to me personally, I can see where people would say I wish it was different. But yet it's not my message, it's God's message. He's the one that sets the standard. He's the one that tells us what's right and wrong. And let me ask you this question while we're on this subject. Is it possible that man can be born with a desire that is outside the will of God, right? Aren't we sinners by nature? Not just by practice, but by very nature. In fact, this is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. If any man will come after me, let him what? Deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, so there's something there inside ourselves that has to be denied. You know, so the argument that people of the world would make, well, you know, I, I just have a weakness toward this, or I'm bent toward this, or I'm born this way. Now, when I say I'm born this way, that's code word for something, right? In, in the day's world that we're talking about, I was born this way. We're usually talking about homosexuality. But we could be talking about other things. I can see people say I was born to be an alcoholic. Anybody in here know somebody like that? Probably most of us. I was born to be addicted to drugs. Anybody know anybody in here like that? Probably most of us. I was born to be a liar. Probably some of us know people like that as well. We know people who it seems like from the er- very earliest stages of life, they look like they were bent toward one particular sin or to a group of sins. But yet the Bible is very plain. It says deny self, it lay aside self. To put those that or those normal feelings that we would have to the back burner to follow. Christ to pick up righteousness to lay aside the things of the flesh so uh, the first point here is this is a burden of the Lord it's God's message and the second point is it can be a burden to speak the message sometimes amen how many of us has ever been sharing the word of God with someone and really didn't want to because we didn't want to be offensive to people We didn't want to hurt people's feelings. We didn't want to cause a a, a rift in their life. You know, if you think about it, in Acts chapter 7, as Stephen is standing there and he's preaching to the Jews, and the message that he preaches is really good. Turn over to Acts chapter 7 sometimes and read through it. And as he's preaching, you can almost hear the Jews in the background saying, Amen, brother. That's right. Preach it now. Come on. I mean, you can hear him. He's He talks about Abraham and Moses, and he goes through, and then all of a sudden he gets to this Jesus whom you've crucified. And all of a sudden it says that they were pricked in their hearts and they were offended and they got mad and they took up stones and they stoned him. In fact, verse 54 of chapter 7 of Acts, and when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Think about that. How angry would they have had to been to go up to him, grab a hold of him, and start biting him? These were grown men that were doing this. But because of the word that he spoke, because of this burden that he carried with them, they became offended. So we can understand why people can be offended at it, why they could, um, well, why they can uh, respond in this way. And sometimes it can be a, a, a burden to do that. So there's always going to be people that will be offended if, we're, if that's what we're looking for, if we want to, uh, for people to do that. And there's no difference here in the book of Malachi uh, the book of Malachi touches on issues such as tithing, abstaining from strong drink, following righteousness, uh, turning from the things of the world, uh, divorce. It touches on those things. And a lot of times those things are very burdensome, especially to someone who's called to preach against those or preach about those things. And uh, it can be a very, very burdens- a burdensome thing. So the very first verse that we see here is the burden of the word of the Lord to, the, uh, to Israel by Malachi, we find a lot in that. So, are there any questions or comments thus far? I think that whenever, and I've said this before, uh,
1: that whenever you try to tell lost people or people of the other faith what the Bible says, they, they think it's you talking and they think you're judgmental. And you say, I'm just telling you what the book says. But no,
0: they don't like to hear that. That's right. You know they'll they drive around with their bumper stickers that says stuff like coexist, and we can't coexist. We cannot accept their practice and uh, make it our own. Can we coexist with them where we accept them the way they are? Well, yeah, we can accept people the way they are. They'll die and go to hell. Uh, I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna back off on the message of God. Uh, but yes, if you want to live and believe a lie, then. I will respect that, I will still try to witness to you, I'll still pray for you, but at the same time, I can't force you to be saved. You know, so we can coexist that way, but the idea that they want is, can't we all just agree? Well, no. Not unless you're willing to accept the Bible as the ultimate authority. If we're using anything other than the Word of God as the ultimate authority, what makes my opinion any better than anybody else's opinion in this room? Is it? No. No. Every one of us has, well, I mean, if it's just my opinion. Now, I'm not talking about the Word of God, but all of us have an opinion, and, and no opinion is better than the others. But when we come to the Word of God and we say, this is going to be our ultimate authority, then all of a sudden we have a standard by which we can stand to. And this is what the message of the Word is. This is what uh, the, uh, the oracle of God is. It's not our opinion, but thus saith the Word of the Lord God. Anyone? Brother David?
1: person uh, was just talking about coming to Christ coming to Christ for salvation the spirit is born to God uh, To, uh, to take care of, there could be mental problems uh, that might need to be took care of for this person's life to get straightened out, alcoholic problems, I think it could be, mm-hmm. would might need to be took care of. Some people think that's all took care of when salvation took care of. I, I don't think so, really. I just want
0: to make that statement. Well, I think the Bible would testify to that. You know, uh, is the sin paid for when we're saved? Yes, the sin is paid for at that moment in time. That person is forgiven of those sins. But are we completely freed from those sins at that moment in time? How many? How many of us have struggled with the same sin for the past ten years? I have. I've not been. I wish that I, I wish that once I was saved, every desire, every feeling, every emotion, every idle thought that I ever had was just completely ripped out of me, and just the mind of Christ was placed in me. But it's not the way. The idea of sanctification is a process of growing as we continue our Christian life, and God works on each one of us, and we work. He works at different rates on each of us, and He works on different things. And uh, when we talk about People who have been, well, I'm I'm not trying to glorify Brother David tonight, but we'll talk about him a little bit tonight. But when we talk about somebody like Brother David, who has been spending the last 50 years in the ministry and growing closer to Christ, that's not to say he's perfect. Now, the stuff that he works on may be a lot smaller in our eyes than things that we have to work on, but God is still working on him as well. He is not completely conformed to the image. Now, he may be closer than he was 50 years ago, and we will be too, right? I
1: like, I like
0: but he's still got a long ways to go. He may have to live another 91 years or so. I don't know. We'll, we'll see before the end. But nonetheless, it's a, the process of sanctification is an ongoing process. And it happens with all of us. And God is continually working on us. Anyone else? Yes. Amen. You know, what, at what part, what, what issue of the Bible can we do away with and still maintain the integrity of the Bible? You know, and this is uh, the very earliest battle between man and God.